Under the radar means hearing about things you didn't know you needed to know until you hear them. It's a serious look. Hear about the issues that don't get the attention they deserve. Under the radar doesn't get caught up in the day-to-day. Surfacing issues that are not talked about in mainstream media. I think it's something that connects us to each other. Under the radar is all about discovery. I can be guaranteed voices I haven't heard before. But also the questions. Under the radar is one step ahead. I'm Callie Crossley. This week on Under the Radar with Callie Crossley, you can count on traffic gridlock on most Tuesdays in Greater Boston as thousands of remote workers make their way into offices in the city. Mondays and Fridays, not so much. Anecdotally, Tuesday is the biggest day for workers here and nationwide whose employers demand they return to the office. Three years after the COVID shutdown, recent research confirms that employees consider hybrid work a permanent work structure. And the evidence shows they also care enough about it to quit jobs where employers are pushing for a five-day-a-week traditional work environment. Later in the show, the annual cranberry harvest has special meaning to the Aquina Wampanoag tribe on Martha's Vineyard. If someone came by uh, and there wasn't enough food, everyone just got a little less. And I thought that was really beautiful and indicative of our community and how we take care of each other. In honor of Indigenous Peoples Day, we take a look at the local tribe's age-old tradition and its current legacy. But first, joining me now, Brian Hancock, global leader of McKinsey & Company's talent management practice. Hi, Brian. Hi, great to be with you. Glad to have you. Also with me, Dina Upton, head of people at Dandy and former chief people officer at Drift, both which have embraced the remote work style. Welcome, Dina. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. Well, uh, let's set a little context for listeners. We talked in 2021 when things were in flux and we were trying to figure out um, the future of work or what it would look like. And now fast forward two years ago and some things have concretized. Um, and a couple things have happened recently that uh caught my attention, and I thought it's the perfect time to have you two weigh in on where we are now. Uh, One, there was a Washington Post article about people quitting. (laughs) Now, we heard some of that when we talked in 2021, but these people were quitting all over the place. (laughs) And then the Boston Globe had a very interesting title uh, to a recent story, which said, as return to office debate continues, Boston employers say this could be as returned as it gets. And I thought, wow, uh, this is time to have a conversation. Not to mention, Brian, um, your company has done some research um, looking at uh, what hybrid is all about. So let's start there. It appears that we've moved from remote to in-office to this middle ground of hybrid. Um, How do you see we have transitioned, Brian, from two years ago to where we are today? And does it look like this is permanent? No, I, I think hybrid work is here to stay. And we're seeing office attendance is down by 30% from pre-COVID levels. And it's been fairly stable from mid-2022 to now. So we think people are, you know, coming in at the three, three and a half days a week is about where we think it's going to be. And as you teed up, we do see this as being something that employees want. I mean, we do see even in the current environment, you know, 10% of employees saying that if they're not able to work in a way that provides them flexibility, including hybrid, you know, they'll work for, they'll look for another job. Mm. Dina, weigh in. 
Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think, I think Brian's right. I think, you know, we talked a little bit about this before a couple of years ago, we've kind of gone through a one-way door that we can't go back through. And I think, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish the COVID pandemic on, on, on anyone and I wouldn't want to relive it again. But one of the benefits that has materialized as a result of it is this sort of general hygiene that we've we've formulated around hybrid work. And it does provide a lot of flexibility. And I think our people are responding uh, with, uh, you know, staying at employers or leaving employers that don't embrace that flexibility. And Dina, back in 2021, you said um, in terms of the company you're working for then, and it perhaps applies to the one you are now, said we went through a one-way door and we can't go back through. You know, this is where we've thrown down the gauntlet. Um, we have. And I think that um, during, in, in 2020, we we were forced to work remotely because everyone was, and it was a safety concern. And I think we realized that you can do it. Um, there's a lot of formality and structure that needs to change to embrace it. But I think it became possible. And, um, and, and that flexibility was being demanded by the employee base. All right, let's hear from some employees. Here's a clip from one who quit her job as a paralegal after she was asked to come back to the office. When you go up to the floor remote and then to the office, I'm like, why, why am I doing this? Like, it's, it seems like pointless. I was so much more tired. I would come home exhausted. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't go to the gym. I wouldn't want to read a book. Like, I would really want to make dinner. And here's another employee who quit her job as a data analyst uh, when she was asked to return to the office. We're more productive at home. We're happier at home. We're doing what the company asks of us. And so going back in is only really a form of micromanaging. We don't we don't want any part of it. And yet the third who quit her job as a research compliance specialist and found another that is completely remote. I don't understand why I have to be in the office when I have all of the technology to help me do my job even better and continue to go about my life. That's why I said I felt like it was a boomer power play. I thought that was interesting, a boomer power play. Uh, so clearly uh, what the fi last employee was speaking of, Brian, was that a continuing disconnect between some employers uh, and employees. I just note for the record that I thought it was ironic that one of the companies insisting that people come back into the office is Zoom um, set up for remote conversations. And I would say uh, the main instrument by which a lot of people are able to work hybrid or remote because of that. And that just was interesting, which says to me that it's still in flux. Uh, whatever these employees are doing, even the demonstration of people who are quitting, Bryant, still some employers are insisting why? What does your research say about why they're still insisting? Well, I think when we talk about employee employers insisting coming back into the office, it's coming back into the office for the vast majority of employers, some. Not a five-day-a-week mandate, but sometime in the office, typically somewhere between three and four days a week. And the reason for that is there are some things that are better done together, having tough conversations you know, talking through and thinking through some of the more strategic pieces that may um, be on somebody's plate, you know, the personal coaching in particular of new joiners. Some of those things are better done in person, but not everything needs to be done in person. And I think where we see the frustration happen is where there's a disconnect between 
hey, this is work that can be really done well in person. If people are coming into the office and spending their time doing that, they feel pretty rewarded with it at the end of the day. May still be frustrated by the commute, but rewarded. But it's when people come into the office, log into their computer, sit at a cubicle, and do exactly the same work they could be doing at home, that's when people get frustrated. So I think it is incumbent on employers, if we are saying, come back to the office, come back with a why and make sure that the majority of the time that we're spending in the office is doing those types of things that are best suited for the office. Now, Dina, your company, you don't have to come in ever, <laughs> but um, I'm sure you can observe from uh, where you sit about looking at some other employers who are coming from where you are, making a mistake by insisting that people come in. Yeah, I, I mean, I echo what Brian said. I think uh, you need you need to set in place intentionality around what why you're bringing people back in. I think, um, you know, we we do have uh, some of our BDRs, our SDRs, our our manufacturing individuals are coming back into the office. So for me in my role, because I'm in Boston, our corporate headquarters are in New York. We but we do have people that are coming into the office in some of our satellite offices, and I think. It's, it's it's emphasizing what Brian just said, which is, you know, if you're going to come into the office and just go into a cubicle and be on Zoom calls or Google Meets, that's it's not a good use of your time. So it's really being intentional around why you're coming into the office. Is it for a training session? Is it is it for mentorship? Is it to tr to train someone new to the organization on understanding what we do? Um, it's that it's that investment in in community that I think has to come out when you're explaining to the employee base why you're bringing them in. If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley, and I'm here with Brian Hancock, global leader of McKinsey & Company's talent management practice, and Dina Upton, head of people at Dandy. We're discussing whether hybrid work is a permanent fixture in the workplace. Now, you really have said that there shouldn't be any mandates requiring employees to come into the office. I have. Yeah, I think um, I think you have to create that FOMO um, to get to to to, to That's get fear of missing to out for people who fear don't know. Of missing out. <laughs> yes, so, so creating that energy and pull and in, in, in emphasizing the investment. So the reason we're bringing uh, you know, new new um, workers into our office is because we're training them. They're going to be able to be trained faster. They're going to learn things more quickly. And so it's that it's that emphasis on you know what's our employee value proposition and what was our promise to you when we recruited and hired you. And we want to fulfill that promise in the fastest way we possibly can. And your ramp is going to be quicker if you're learning directly from someone that you're sitting right next to. And so um, it's taking away that mandatory language um, and emphasizing what is the investment that we're making in you as an employee and what's the reason behind bringing you back in. We want to make sure that you are successful. So I want to emphasize uh, to listeners that we know we're having a conversation about knowledge workers, pretty much, um, that other people who have different work situations cannot as easily uh, be hybrid. Uh, though, when we last spoke in 2021, uh, both of you uh, agree that some of the new work structures and the flexibility that it's, that was employed or being employed for knowledge workers was going to drift down to other kinds of workers uh, because of the innovative um, perspectives that grew during a time when you had to figure out, okay, well, how do we make this work from home? Um, so are both of you still on that page, Brian? 
I am. I mean, I think part of the core of why people want uh, a hybrid working model and the ability to work from home uh, on occasion or for a significant part of what they do is for the flexibility it provides for all other parts of their life. Hey, I've got a sick, if I've got a sick parent and I need to take them to their eye appointment. You know, you people recognized over the course of the pandemic, hey, I now had the flexibility. I could do that more easily. I didn't have to commute back from the office to go to my folks, pick them up, move. And that flex, that idea of what people are getting is increased flexibility, I think carries through to other aspects as well. If we're short manufacturing workers, is there a way that we can create shifts that make it convenient for a parent who can do drop off and pick up from school? Is there a way that we can think about other forms of flexibility that work not just for knowledge workers, but for everybody? And I think that idea of the underlying what we're providing in hybrid is flexibility. And that idea, I think, is carrying through to other parts of the workforce as well. What say you, Dina? Yeah, Brian, I totally agree. We have we have a manufacturing site in Lehigh, Utah, and we um, practice sort of day shift, swing shift, and it's it's for that reason as well. We have, you know, a computer, a gentleman that's studying computer science that takes courses during the day, and he loves the night shift. Um, we have new parents that are working on a four day work schedule in our manufacturing site because they, Friday needs to be a really flexible day for them. And I think you're right. The idea of flexibility that has been implemented in what we call our core employee base, so our corporate our marketing sales GNA functions has bled into uh, the manufacturing workers that we have. Um, Dina, something you said in 2021, um, I'll repeat back to you. You said great organizations have reciprocal relationships. Um, and you went on to say, I'm talking real stuff, not foosball table, but about career development. I'll allow you to update that if you wish or add more to it. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that... Um, I think, you know, it's it's not about, we can't, you can't, I mean, I, I'm sure Brian would agree, you can't coax people to come back into the office with a foosball table and free lunch anymore. The, the, the meaty things about getting people to come into the office is emphasizing, or your investment in them is emphasizing how it's going to make them better. How are you going to make them more marketable? Um, you want them to stay at your place of business for a long period of time. But if you if you if they're working with you for a couple of years and you fulfill that commitment that is going to make them stronger, a better manager, a better engineer, a better receptionist, whatever it is, um, that that's the meaty stuff of getting people to stay within your organization. Um, and that's what I meant by that. Can you can uh, people be enticed by a foosball and free lunch? They can be, <laughs> they can be enticed. But that's only going to carry you for a short period of time. Um, uh, they can be, you can originally entice them with food and and activities, but I think the investment in training and making them uh, and, and and investing in them is what's going to carry you on in the long term. Absolutely. When people ask me what the number one amenity is to get people back in the office, I look at them and say, "It's you. You're looking to interact Absolutely. with leaders." with their managers, like that is the amenity, is time with you. And so if we can create that mindset among our middle management cohort, that, hey, what people, what we're, what the big value proposition is the career development, is the coaching, is the apprenticeship, is that in-person presence that own, that magic can only happen with the manager in person, that's what people want. And so it's not as much about the foosball table or the free lunch, it's the time with their manager that can help them with their career. 
Totally. And I, yeah, I was, I was, I was going to, I was going to say, I think, you know, when we heard those clips at the beginning, right, like those individuals were commenting on efficiency and mastering tasks. And I think we realized that in a remote first world, digital first world, we are really good at mastering tasks. But I think what has suffered is the relationships that those small conversations that you had walking to a conference room or grabbing a cup of coffee and you ask somebody about a relative that's suffering medically. I mean, I think that's what we, when we focused on the task, we forgot about the relationship. And we're, we're, we're turning the pendulum to say relationship, investment in relationships and building trust within the organization takes time, takes connection, takes people, takes in-person interactions. Um, Brian, what is your observation on companies that uh, came out fairly early during the shutdown period and said, from now on, no one has to come in ever. You can be fully remote for as long as you want, wherever, and that's it. And then they changed and said, "Uh uh-oh, now we think you have to come back. Um, From what you all have uh, observed uh, through your surveys, what drove that? And didn't it reduce the amount of trust, which is what you want with your employees, um, in making an an abrupt change as they did? Well, I, I think part of, you know, as we've seen organizations work through and figure out what the balance is, I think the organizations came to recognize a few things. One, there is some work that can be done productively remotely. I mean, there was there were remote workers pre-COVID, people that, that were completely remote that you know, that came in. And some of what we saw afterwards is people well-intended saying, hey, but we're missing the apprenticeship. We've got new people in the office that, you know, actually new joiners are some of the ones that want to be in the office most because they're the most hungry for the apprenticeship. They're the, they're the ones who most want that kind of activity. I think organizations were saying, hey, now we have a bunch of people that were not apprenticing. Hey, come back. We need to do this. And in some organizations, they may have missed that hey, we actually pre-pandemic had some remote workers. And so some of those folks that may have been 10-year remote workers were swept up in the, hey, now everybody has to be back in the office. Mm. Um, Dina, I'm going to let you answer that. Then I have a follow-up question for both of you. Go ahead. I think that we, because at Drift, I I was one of those people. I came out really, David Cancel and I came out really strongly with um, a digital first world and uh, outcomes versus desk time and FaceTime. But I think what we realized is exactly what Brian was talking about was, you know, the learning opportunity and the apprenticeship for people that are new in their careers. And we learned that as we went along. And so I think we explained that to the employee base, like why were we changing our direction and why were we emphasizing hybrid when we were so much sort of digital first one way we showed the data and and then gained trust with the organization on why we were doing it. And then going back to the point that was brought up earlier, you know, making an investment in our people and our team um, and community, uh, that that was the message that we portrayed. Mm. So here's the follow-up question to both of you. Um, what seems to have happened in in some instances, and I'm about to give you an example, is that there has been some value judgment um, placed on the good employees, I'm using air quotes, who come into the office and the rest of y'all who are okay, but not as good as the ones who come into the office. Now, I'm speaking 
uh, specifically about Malcolm Gladwell. He's a five-time New York Times bestselling author and the co-founder of an audio content company called Pushkin Industries. And last year, he made a statement that got a lot of hostile feedback from workers. Here it is. It's not in your best interest, or, you know, if you're just sitting in your pajamas and you're actually sat that work life you want to live, we want you to have a feeling of belonging and to feel necessary. And if you're not here, it's really hard to do it. What have you reduced your life to? Now, um, just as a footnote, he just announced uh, that um, he's laying off 30% of his workers from the audio content company. Don't know if that's related. Uh, but there was a lot of feedback and people were like, well, excuse me, Mr. Gladwell, your whole life has been <laughs> the ability to have flexible work times and flexible workplaces. And now we have it. And this is what you have to say. So there seems to have been a value judgment, not just by him, but, you know, you all have heard it from others. And Brian, I'd love you to weigh in on that. How do we how do employers try to ask people to come back in a way that's not adding a negative value uh comment on who is in and who is out. I think what we're seeing organizations try to do is set some expectations for all employees to say, okay, this is what purposeful presence means for us. And this is why we're trying to come together in the times we do. So it is putting a little bit more structure around, you know, what the expectations of the employees are. And so then the question becomes one for the manager to figure out, okay, how do we make sure that our teams are living into the spirit of that, in the spirit of you know, why we want to be in person together? I think when you think about comments of folks saying, well, people that aren't coming in the office are, um, you know, there's some value judgment to that. That I think is more applicable in organizations where they haven't set clear expectations as to what work is done where. In some organizations, they may set expectations that can be done anywhere. And we are going to measure you purely on your outputs because what you're working on is transactional. In other organizations, it may be much more relationship and coaching. And you know what? There is an expectation of leaders to lead and coach. And I think so. I think it is a little bit context specific, but also a little bit incumbent on the organizations to put guard to put guardrails, to put expectations in place and then manage people to those expectations. Um but not do it in a way that's overly formalistic, that's not, hey, we're checking badge swipes, but do it more in a way of saying, are we living collectively living into the ideals of what we want to do together in person and what we are comfortable doing remotely? Um, Dina, what about the value judgment? Yeah, no, I I, I agree. I think that... Um, there's, there seems to be this, okay, are you in the remote world? Are you out of the remote world? And like a little bit of black and white you see in the media right now. And I think it depends on the organization. It depends on the stage in which a company is in. It depends on the, the business challenges that they have in front of you and sort of relating the context of your strategic pillars to what is your talent people strategy and making sure they align for your company specifically, not because of something that um, Google's doing or, or something that Salesforce is doing, like that it's, it's not going to work. It might not necessarily work for your organization, but employees can kind of sniff out um, authenticity. And I think that that's part of what, um, that's part of what people are calling, you know, leaders out on is saying one thing and doing another, but making sure that it's really specific to your organization and the stage at which you're in and your organizational growth. 
If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley, and here with me are Brian Hancock, global leader of McKinsey & Company's talent management practice, and Dina Upton, head of people at Dandy. We're talking about the current state of work and perhaps the future of work. Brian, McKinsey just did a, you know, I mean, I know you're constantly doing surveys, just checking to see what's going on, but you just did a a recent survey. And I want to make sure you've already mentioned uh, some of the uh, details that came from that about office attendance being lower than it was before the pandemic and lower in large firms in the knowledge economy. What else from that survey stands out to you that is something we need to be paying attention to? I think one of the things that stood out to me is who is more often to be in the office five days a week. And there were two cohorts that were more often in the office five days a week than others. The first, and we've talked a little bit about this already, is more junior employees. The ones that are looking for apprenticeship and coaching, the ones who are trying to understand their way through the organization, they were more likely to be in the office five days a week. And the other were baby boomers. They were more likely to be in the office five days a week. And so I think you do see a little bit of you know, preference that is across those two age cohorts is interesting. But if you've got those two cohorts showing up more often in person, I think the the real question is, it comes back to the manager. How do we make sure that we're also getting the managers, the folks who maybe are valuing flexibility the most because they're dealing with kids at home as well as their parents. They're the ones in mid-career. They're the ones who are trying to make it all work. How do we make sure that we provide them the flexibility so that they can make it work in a way that works for them the company but also where they are showing up so that they can be with, in particular, those more junior colleagues. Mm. Both of you have said that the sands will uh, or keep shifting to some degree so that it appears now that hybrid is permanent. But uh, will we see a major shift? I mean, what moved from the last time we talked was fully remote, to this kind of, and there was a little bit of hybrid going on then, to a real hybrid work structure. But um, can we safely say that uh, five days a week mandatory is gone forever? For example, Dina. I think I go go back to my other, my answer to the other question. It depends on the company. I think for larger companies, yes, I think, um, you know, uh, candidates still have a lot of choices. And so they will grade us by accepting a position or not accepting a position. And those hybrid positions are much more um, enticing to people. So, you know, in in order to get to talent, you're going to have to be flexible. But um, I do think, you know, there's small, small startups that are 20, 20 people startup that they're, they're ideating, whiteboarding, like that, those they might need to have people in the office five days a week because they're moving so quickly. Things are changing and communication needs to be pretty fluid. So you'll still have those small startups that are requiring people to come into the office, I think. Um, But some of the larger, more established companies where the communication channels are formalized, um, hybrid, I believe, is here to stay. Brian? I think that is right. I mean, I think, you know, in particular for larger companies, you know, that have more, a disproportionate share of knowledge workers. I think that for the most part, hybrid is there to stay. And as Dina said, there will be special cases where, you know, maybe it's the startup where it makes sense for everybody to be in person, or maybe it's uh, the startup from, 
a small town in the middle of the country that doesn't have a deep talent pool that makes a strategic choice. If we're going to be based here, and we're going to grow, we have to be 100% remote and we'll figure out how to make it work. So there may be strategic choices that some organizations make to be you know, totally in-person for a specific set of purposes or totally remote and virtual for another set of purposes. But I think for the vast majority, in particular of large established organizations with a big knowledge worker cohort, hybrid works here to stay. Mm. And here's a clip from Lyft's chief people officer about their new hybrid working approach. We do want people in the office three days a week. We believe this is really important, but we also want to provide them flexibility, whether it's to get their kids to school or to avoid traffic. So we're not paying attention to the hours that people are working. Our message has been, do what works for you. So last time we got together in 2021, I asked you guys uh, what you might predict uh, with regard to collaboration and innovation. Um, And now I have another question for you, which is, as we... uh, come to think about how many hours or whether you need this many hours, that more outcome, less how many hours or how many people are badging in, could hybrid morph into four days a week work? Oh, that's a meaty question. <laughs> um, you know, I think it's, again, it sort of depends on the industry, the company, as to whether or not that could work. More importantly, it depends on the company's customer base. Like, can you still service the customer base four days a week? Like, because we're all in business to serve our customers. So I think it's a, it's an industry customer specific question. Um, I think flexibility is here to stay. uh, And there's many organizations, especially in Sweden, Denmark that are testing this four day a week work. I don't want to say it's not possible. I think, you know, we, we all believe in flexibility. I think it really depends on the industry and the customer base that you're serving as to whether or not you can make that work. And to be clear, Brian, before you answer, I I wasn't clear about uh, both of your answers or akin to um, collaboration and innovation uh, just boomed uh, during the time where a lot of people were remote so that folks had a lot of time to figure out how they wanted to be innovative in this space and that some part of that had to do with how folks made connections outside of their own group, like they were across groups and silos went down. Just want to articulate for the listeners, you know, what your responses were uh, positive about that. So again, to you, four-day work week coming out of hybrid? Perhaps? I think first, it is a meaty question. I think for many knowledge workers, where what you're doing is something that is fundamentally creative or difficult problem solving or challenging, um, you may have four days a week that are the days that are expected where you have meetings and where it's expected there's collaboration. Some of those might be in person, some might be remote. But on the fifth day, that might be your time to think might be your time to, you know, uh, think about, or the sixth day or the seventh day. I know I think when I go on my runs on Sunday mornings, you know, my my long runs are are times when, you know, I'm not necessarily thinking about any specific project, but, you know, ideas come. And I think there is good research that shows if you create more space, you get more creativity. So I do think there may be a world where in some ways, you know, it's four days a week. And for some types of employees, it may be possible to shut it off and be like, okay, we're able to box it into four days and have a productive four days and then three days off. And for others, it may be a four days of structured work 
which frees up some of that more unstructured time for you to think, do individual contributor work, really push on what the, what the creative edge is. So it depends a little on the job, um, but I think there will be changes in how many days somebody's expected to log on. Do employees still have the level of leverage that they had two years ago when we spoke? Dina. Uh, yes, I believe they do. Um, you know, there's still, uh, you know, there's still a war for talent going on. And I think that um, good organizations will make sure that they're listening to their current employees and, 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 and emphasizing flexibility. So I still believe there is. I believe so as, as well. I think, you know, there's going to be, you know, for in-demand fields, there's going to be, um, you know, talent shortage is going to be something that is going to continue to exist. We have seen that the voluntary quit rates have come down from some of the peaks that we were seeing a year or two ago. Um, but at the same time, you know, the conference board did a survey of worker satisfaction and worker satisfaction is at an all-time high. And part of why it's an all-time high is because workers feel like they have more flexibility. So if we're in a, in a world where we're still short talent in several roles, um, companies have adapted. So providing the flexibility that employees want, it makes sense that employees would be happier. It would also make sense that if people start to take some of that flexibility, which is making employers happier away, they're gonna move and they're gonna find other opportunities. Well, once again, I really appreciate your insight and knowledge uh, about these shifting sands at work. Um, and it was a great conversation. Thank you all for joining me. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Brian Hancock is the global leader of McKinsey & Company's talent management practice. And Dina Upton is the head of people at Dandy and former chief people officer at Drift, both which have embraced the remote work style. Coming up, Cranberry Day is the celebration of a long-held tradition practiced by the Aquina Wampanoag on Martha's Vineyard. It commemorates the annual cranberry harvest, which occurs the day after Indigenous Peoples Day. The historic cultural event also serves as a way to dispel myths and stereotypes about Native Americans. That's next. This is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley.